Welcome to the best works of emerging explicit romance authors. Our curators select a wide variety of tales about the lifelong human quest. For satisfying, lasting, and meaningful expressions of sexual health. Steamy Stories Daily Podcast focuses primarily on short stories. Explicit Novels Daily Podcast presents longer format novels over a span of episodes. Subscribe to both Steamy Stories and Explicit Novels in your favorite podcasting app. And now, today's story. Maiden Voyage, Part 2 A Choice, a Trap, and a Necklace I Hector Baidon Listen to the podcast at Steamy Stories. The next morning's sun found its way in through our porthole once again. We had sorted ourselves out somewhat during the night. I was on my side, tangled in a bit of sheet. She was on her side, tangled in a bit of blanket. I could just make out the pale tan lines on her bottom and her back. We'd become cabin buddies of a different order. At the Jack and Sierra level. That's probably what most people would have assumed all along, but I certainly hadn't, and I didn't think that she had either. And yet, here we were. I waited a while for her to wake up, but she didn't. So I finally got up myself. We just passed though the entrance in the seawall at Ensenada and were coming up to our docking site. The pilot, or maybe it was the captain himself, was standing on a little deck that jutted out from the side of the ship to joystick our massive vessel precisely up to the pier. Molly was still in bed when I got back. She smiled and went to the bathroom, a little embarrassed to be still naked while I was already dressed. Her pubic hair, I noticed, was trim and attractive. She came out wearing a towel and had her coffee. We checked the day's schedule. She was delighted to discover that they transferred Mrs. Pendergast's excursion ticket to me. A little later that morning we went ashore. It was a strange sensation, stepping off the gangway into a foreign country. Somehow I expected every little thing to be different and exotic, but the first thing we encountered, sprouting up through a crack in the pavement, was a little tuft of grass. Nothing exotic at all, just plain old grass. Our excursion van was heralded by a woman with a clipboard, a younger, more boisterous, Mexican Denise. There were three other couples in our group and a single unaccompanied woman about Sierra's age. I took a seat next to the window with Molly beside me with the unaccompanied woman next to her. Her name was Meryl. This was her first real vacation since her divorce. She was really excited to be having such an adventure. We drove through the streets of Ensenada, our guide giving us a bit of local color in her prettily accented English. The scene was at once familiar and strange, traffic and lane markings and stoplights just exactly like at home, but unintelligible store signs in unlikely colors painted directly on pastel stucco walls. Beyond the city were dusty, cactus-strewn hills not unlike the Catalina hinterland. Our destination was a site called the Bufadora, a cleft in the rocky sea cliff where ocean waves sent up enormous geyser-like sprays. The sprays were so high that we got wet even at our vantage point 50 feet above the water. The path back from the observation point was lined with gaudy souvenir shops, like the midway of a county fair. Merrill had tagged along with Molly and me. We stopped at one of the taco stands for lunch. So how did you guys meet? Molly didn't volunteer an answer. 
Just here on the cruise, actually, I said. Really? See, aren't cruises great? Molly gushed. After lunch we went into one of the souvenir shops and Meryl asked our opinion about all the little knickknacks she wanted to buy. When we got back to the van, I ended up sitting in the middle. The nicest thing, she said. Is that every day you make new friends? We drove back through town, then out into the desert in a different direction to a picturesque winery. We sat around a table on a palm-shaded patio and sampled the different vintages. Meryl chatted on about Simi Valley and the cruise and her ex and the weather and the ship and the people she'd met. She got me to go into the little gift shop with her to help pick out a couple bottles. Molly was quiet at dinner. I had to remind her that we'd made plans to see the comedy show with Meryl. I've got a bit of a headache, she said. I think I'll go back to the room. Meryl was waiting in the forward theater. She was sorry to hear about Molly's headache and put her hand on my arm to convey her concern. The show turned out to be pretty adult-rated, pretty raunchy in fact. Meryl yucked it up. After the show she suggested we take a spin about the deck. The ship had set sail again and we were just passing the exposed wreck that lies up against the seawall. Somehow Meryl managed to tuck herself inside my arm. Wouldn't you just love to go dancing, she cooed. I, uh, actually, I've kind of got to go now. But the night is still young. Let's at least stop by my room first. I've got to check on Molly. We can open one of the tequilas. Thanks, but... It's just that, I was kind of hoping to get lucky tonight. Christ Almighty. A guy tries to be a gentleman. I didn't need an etiquette book for this one. I finally managed to pry myself away. When I got back to the room, Molly was in her pajamas, watching TV. Is your headache any better? I asked. She didn't look up from the screen. I sat on the chair and twisted around to see what she was watching. A travelogue of some sort. You didn't miss much, I said. The show was kind of... But she leaned in closer to the screen to make it clear that I was interrupting her program. Something about the way the locals made their tortillas. Okay. I got the message. She didn't like the fact that I'd gone to the show with Meryl. I went into the bathroom. I'd only been trying to be polite to a fellow cruise member. Was that a crime? Molly had been there when we'd made the plans. I thought that she'd been trying to be friendly too. That we'd sort of taken Meryl under our wing. I came out of the bathroom and sat down on the chair again. The secret to the tortillas, apparently, had something to do with lime juice. I didn't expect to see you back here tonight, Molly said. In a sarcastic tone of voice. As if my presence was an imposition. As if she was sorry she'd ever offered to share the room in the first place. I didn't even bother to answer. I got undressed. I crawled up onto my side of the bed. Where else was I supposed to go? I got under the blanket and turned toward the bulkhead. A guy tries to be a gentleman. And this is what he gets. I woke up first again the next morning. I went up on deck. Did she really think that I'd found Meryl even the least bit attractive? 
she was a fellow shipmate, nothing more. I thought that we'd both been trying to be polite to her. Was that a crime? I brought back coffee and a croissant, but Molly was still asleep. Or pretending to be. I banged around a little, but she didn't budge. Finally I got fed up and left. So here I was again, back to my usual routine, wandering down empty corridors, drifting up little-used gangways, poking around lonely corners where nobody else much ever cared to go. Doing what I probably would have been doing if I'd gotten my single in the first place. I came back to the room around lunchtime, but Molly wasn't there. I wandered up to the pool. Denise was there, chatting with some people. She waved. Meryl was there, stalking about, but I managed to slip away before she saw me. But no Molly. It was a long day. The ship had parked itself out in the middle of the ocean somewhere. Or maybe the rest of the world really had blown itself up and they just hadn't told us. I eventually ended up back in the little coffee shop at the tail end of the ship. The sky seemed a lot flatter though, the seagulls a lot more listless, my algorithms a lot less interesting. Finally I got up again and trudged back down into the labyrinth. The casino was practically empty. The lower piano bar was closed. The little art gallery was still showing the same old photographs. The gift shop was open. The same lady was behind the counter. What was it that Molly had asked to see? A necklace. It must have been, that one. The lady brought it out. A pair of crystalline dolphins on a slender silver chain. They sparkled in the light. Molly still wasn't in the room when I got back. This time our towel had been folded into a seal, sunning itself on the bedspread. I moved it a little closer to her pillow and arranged the necklace around its neck. There were still a couple hours until dinner. I thought it might be better if I wasn't there when she got back. I got to dinner right on time. It was our last night on board, and the room was even more boisterous than usual. Where's Molly? asked Sierra. She had a little headache. She might not be joining us. Valentine our waiter was really joshing it up, angling for a big end of trip tip. He was just taking the drink orders when Molly appeared. She was wearing a pink skirt, a whitish blouse, and the necklace. Her eye caught mine as she made her way around the table, but quickly shot away again. Sierra asked her how she was doing. The couple on my other side were there for once. Tom and somebody. He was in air conditioning and gave me the full rundown. It was too noisy for Molly and me to talk, but every time I looked, she was still wearing the necklace. It being our last night, the waiters were going to put on a little show. Just after they passed out the dessert plates they went into a huddle near the service entrance. Molly leaned over. Do you want to go back to the room? We got up. Oh, are you guys going to the review? asked Sierra. Molly replied in the louder voice you had to use to make yourself heard. But the room was beginning to quiet down as the waiters were taking their places, and so the whole table heard what she said. Make up sex. The table burst into laughter. Molly continued her way out of the room, and I just followed sheepishly behind her. Can you forgive me? she asked as we got out into the hallway. For letting everybody know where we're going? For last night. 
I'm so sorry for the way I acted. It was my fault. It was all my fault. The worst part is, we wasted a whole day. I remorsed. We still have tonight. She tried to assure me. Yeah. We still have tonight. I agreed. As soon as we got into the room we fell into each other's arms. I love the necklace, she murmured. It looks really nice on you. We kissed and shuffled toward the bed. But my blood was pumping. I was thinking about our wasted day. Let's do something first, want to? I pleaded. It's our last night. Let's get our money's worth. Let's go to the show. Let's go dancing. Let's shoot for that royal flush. The bed will still be here when we get back. But let's make up for some of the things we didn't do today. Let's paint the ship red. Okay? Want to? Come on. Hop hop. Jack and Sierra were surprised to see us at the theater. That was quick, Sierra said with a look of astonishment. Molly blushed. I put my arm around her and pulled her tight. You ain't seen nothing yet. The review was Motown Classics, The Supremes, The Four Tops. You can't hurry love, no you'll just have to wait, the whole auditorium was singing along. The girls pulled Jack and me up from our seats to dance in the aisle. Sugar pie, honey bunch, you know that I love you. Afterwards, the night was balmy, perfect for a stroll on deck. We could see lights off in the distance, the rest of the world was still there after all. We ran into Merrill, wrapped in the arm of a dapper, middle-aged gentleman whose smile was just as smug as hers was. We exchanged pleasantries. She gave us both a little wink. Molly, perhaps I'm clueless. Did you have any idea that Merrill was going to try to hit on me? I had to ask. Oh, my God. Molly stared at me. All day long, she was angling for you. I thought you were trying for a threesome, and my fake headache was me forcing you to choose one or the other. What? I thought you and I were just trying to be hospitable, you know, so she'd have some friends to socialize with. Well, Molly confessed. I finally figured out that you were completely innocent, but it took me until late afternoon to dispel my worst presumptions. I went to the show, because we told her we'd both join her, there. I explained. When you were bedridden with a headache, I assumed it fell on me to go alone, even though I really didn't want to be away from you. Ah, really? That's so sweet. Molly gushed. She gave me a deep kiss right there on the mezzanine. I assumed you went because you wanted another notch on your belt. I'm so, so sorry. Well, when the performance ended, I said I had to head back to you. She did try every diversion. I passed on all of them. Then she flatly told me she was hoping to get lucky with me. I told her I definitely could not accommodate that, and I walked straight back to our room. Oh, I was awful to you. Molly lamented. But I was also right about that slut's intentions, wasn't I? Molly paused, then added, when I finally got over my inner rage, I realized that you didn't come back smelling like cunt. Hell, you didn't even have lipstick smeared on your face. 
This afternoon, I finally left my hiding spot and saw you were heading to dinner. I went to the cabin and saw this beautiful necklace. I literally cried. I don't deserve you. You don't deserve my juvenile drama. I planned to skip the dinner, but when I saw the dolphin necklace, I had to come and grovel your forgiveness. You know, Molly, I paused. Perhaps I was too clueless yesterday. Perhaps you were too presuming? Do you think we can both help to balance each other? Oh, I love that. Yes, let's balance each other. The nightclubs were hopping. We wound our way from one to the other, dancing one dance in each. But then we decided to forego the casino and just head back to the cabin. And sure enough, the bed was still there, right where we'd left it. We kissed. I ran my hands up along her sides, up inside her blouse. She undid my buttons and pulled open my shirt. I fiddled with her skirt and managed to slip it down over the swell of her hips. She unfastened my belt buckle and my button and my zipper. I slid my hands down inside her panties. She slid hers down inside my underpants. We pawed and shucked and kicked off everything that remained. And then she took off the very last thing that she was wearing, the crystalline necklace, and placed it carefully on the nightstand. I backed her down onto the bed. I kissed the pretty spot where the necklace had been, and the spot next to that, and the spot next to that. She lay back and closed her eyes and let herself be kissed. I settled myself down on top of her, stroking her full lovely body with my own, savoring her softness and her excitement, trying to fuse our unfortunate separateness into something more fulfilling. And somehow, in the midst of our kissing and our stroking, my penis must have slid up at just the right angle, and her hips must have been open to just the right degree, and we coupled, as adroitly as if that had been our conscious intention, as naturally as if we were two jungle cats whose lithe jungle bodies just instinctively knew how to fuck. And somewhere in the midst of our coupling we sweetly came, but it was not so much a climax as just a sweet vista point along the way. For just as we hadn't consciously willed our engagement, neither did we ever willfully disengage, but just eventually nestled more comfortably down beside each other, still caressing, still softly kissing, still sweetly fused. The loudspeaker blasted us awake early the next morning. Our luggage needed to be out in the hallway for pickup by 8 o'clock sharp. Molly wriggled a bit deeper under the blanket. Uh, she groaned. Just five more minutes. I remembered the look on her face, when had it been? Just four days ago, when we first learned we might have to share the cabin together. She'd been just as uncertain as I had. But now it was hard to imagine any other arrangement. Her lying in bed beside me, trying to squeeze in a few more minutes of sleep, leaving it up to me to keep track of the time, I wouldn't have had it any other way. We hadn't begun to pack yet, but we'd kept things fairly organized. I gave her a generous five minutes, and then I gave her a little nudge. Come on, sleepyhead. Up and at, um. She groaned, but she dragged herself out of bed. We were both still naked. I slipped on a pair of boxers, and she put on a t-shirt. It rode up and back, though, so that her pretty bottom kept peeking out as she went around collecting her things and tucking them into her suitcase. Do you kinda wish that the rest of the world really had blown itself up? I asked. She was folding one of her bras. Oh, I don't know. We'd probably get tired of eating cheesecake eventually, 
they'd run out. Then we'd have to eat whatever it is that Valentine eats. He gets cheesecake sometimes, don't you think? When they have some left over? I don't know. He's pretty skinny. I wonder why Meryl didn't think of him. Yeah. Good question. Wrong table, I suppose. I suppose. I crammed my sports coat in between my shirts and my underwear bag. She gave the zipper of her suitcase a final tug. Besides, she said. Your algorithms would miss you. I slipped on my trousers and rolled the bags out into the corridor. There were a surprising number of people walking by, and every single one of them gawked into the room as they passed. Nothing is more titillating to a person walking down a stateroom corridor than an open doorway. When I got the door closed again, Molly was sitting up on the bed with the sheet pulled up in front of her and a rather indignant look on her face. What a lot of nerve some people had. I couldn't help but smile. I wonder what they thought you were hiding back there. She rolled her eyebrows. But I was feeling a little playful. The final day's schedule was lying on the floor. I picked it up and pretended it was an official form. Customs inspection, miss, may I see what you've got behind that sheet? She wasn't so sure she wanted to show me. She coyly raised the sheet a little higher. That shirt you're wearing, Mississippi. Did you purchase it abroad? She looked down behind the sheet. This old thing? Regulations, miss, it may contain contraband fibers. I held out my hand. May I see it, please? She huffed. Bureaucrats. Without letting go of the sheet she wriggled one arm out of its sleeve and then the other one. Then she pulled the shirt off over her head and handed it to me, all the while keeping herself demurely shielded from any and all prying eyes. I inspected the shirt, inside and out. White cotton, picture of a bamboo stalk, slightly warm. I brought it up to my nose. Girl smell, subtle but intriguing. I turned it over. No detectable contraband fibers. I made a mark on my customs form. And what else do you have behind the sheet, miss? Why nothing, officer? Nothing at all. Couldn't I tell that she was just an innocent traveler trying to get back home? I took the edge of the sheet from her hand and gently pulled it back to see for myself. She'd been telling the truth. Nothing at all. She blushed. I made another mark on my customs form. I'm afraid our machine is down today, miss, the rest of the inspection will have to be performed manually. Would you please lie down here on the conveyor belt for me? She huffed again. The things one had to put up with. But regulations were regulations. She stretched herself out on the bed, arms to her sides, completely nude, presenting herself for inspection, just the slightest hint of coy anticipation in her expression. I proceeded to administer a thorough frisking. I ran my hands up her calf, feeling for any irregularities. I ran them up her thigh, letting one hand brush her soft pubic hair as the other swept over the full round swell of her hip. I looked up and our eyes met. Looking back at me was the same pretty girl I'd had lunch with at the salad buffet, 
lying now before me, utterly nude, lips slightly parted, nipples blushing, letting me see and touch and pet and feel every square inch of her lovely body. I can only imagine what she might have read in my eyes, but I didn't read anything in hers that told me not to continue what I was doing. I ran my hands up over her tummy, letting my fingers probe her belly button. I cupped her breasts and gently frisked her hardening nipples. Ooh, officer. But there was one part of her that needed to be inspected more thoroughly. I had her scoot down so that her bottom was still on the bed but her feet were on the floor. This brought her pretty vagina out of the shadows and onto center stage. The outer lips were flushed and slightly parted, revealing the swirly pink frills within. These were her most secret, private parts, and she was letting me see them, letting me run my thumb along their oystery ruffles, letting me daub my fingers with their musky secretion. I could very well have been back in the botanical garden, examining an exotic new species of tropical orchid. My penis insisted on being a part of the investigation. I dropped my pants and brought it up for comparison. It jutted out, sleek and firm like a totem of polished jungle hardwood, a dramatic contrast to her glistening swirls. I advanced it right up to the very heart of her ruffles, and they parted shyly to let it in. I maneuvered to find the perfect angle, the one our jungle bodies had found last night so effortlessly by themselves. She had propped herself up on her elbows to watch, but now she lay back down again, the same pretty girl who'd pressed up against me so contentedly on the tender. I thrust, savoring her frilly plushness. She purred and gave me a playful inner caress. I stroked and felt the beckoning strains of sweetness. A different phenotype, certainly, but definitely the same species, breathtakingly different but exquisitely compatible, her circumference to my diameter, her ruffles to my teak, her warm, welcoming embrace to my clumsy determination. The same pretty girl who'd come to dinner, after all. I thrust and thrust, and the sweetness blossomed like a velvety jungle flower, and she quivered and uttered a musky cry. After a slow fuck, while staring into each other's eyes, we cuddled for as long as we could. Finally, we went down the gangway into the terminal building to settle our accounts and have our passports stamped. Our bags were waiting on luggage carts outside. Molly had finally put her t-shirt back on along with a pair of capri pants. Mrs. Pendergast had booked her one more night in Long Beach, at the Marriott, along with some of the other social groupers. I was going straight back to Pasadena. Her van arrived before my shuttle did, and she hustled off, rolling her suitcase. Jack and Sierra were going too. I wished them well. The driver took his time loading the bags, and Molly ran back to give me one last hurried kiss. Denise was standing nearby. Molly waved. You were right, she called. It was a sweet sorrow watching her go back to San Bernardino. We'd exchanged numbers. I'd give her a call when we got back home. There was no reason to think we wouldn't see each other again. There was no reason to think we wouldn't have sex again. But not today. I felt happier than I'd felt in quite a while. And sadder. Denise stepped up beside me as the hotel van pulled away. I told her you were a nice guy, she explained. Yesterday, afternoon she had a lot of questions about you, and a lot of wrong presumptions. When we were done talking, I wasn't sure if she was going to let go of her fears about you. At her brief dinner appearance, it was like she was a completely different person. 
She smiled, graciously, generously. I'm glad the two of you hit it off. She didn't say it in a social group hookup kind of way at all, but sincerely, one grown-up, to another. Denise then handed me a check, here's the full refund for your single occupancy cabin. Mrs. Pendergast couldn't cancel soon enough to get any of her money back, so you officially just went in her place. One might suspect the woman was trying to pair up you and Molly, all alone? I looked at her, probably the first time I'd ever really looked her fully in the eye. I couldn't help but return her smile. Well, you were right about one thing, I said. The cruise was a lot of fun. I'm glad you finally convinced me to come. Heading to the parking area, I relived the wonderful memories. I didn't have to be to work in Pasadena for a couple more days. I took the shuttle to my parking area, then finally found my car, and eventually paid the booth and began to drive out to the Queensway Highway. Then my phone rang. Hector. It was Molly. My God, Hector. I'm at the hotel, and this king-size suite is amazing. I need to share it with someone special. Can you help a lonely girl, from the hills? I immediately diverted off the Queensway Drive and was in her hotel lobby within five minutes. I Hector Bidon for Literatica. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. We hope you found pleasure and inspiration. Come back tomorrow as we continue to bring you more explicit romance tales and subscribe to our podcast feeds in your mobile devices to access our entire library of hundreds of daily episodes. Happy dreams.